It's time for the Flagler Radio Business Report, a 30-minute roundtable discussion with local businesses. And now, your host, Kirk Keller. Good morning and welcome to the Business Report. I'm your host, Kirk Keller. I have a fantastic guest in the house this morning, Dr. Darren Peterson. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Pretty good. Uh, I appreciate it. You just gave me a book. I have not had a chance to read this book. It's not going to be released till November 28th. Is that right? That's correct. It'll be on Amazon then. It's called Life Change. Reframe your goals, take charge of your health, and establish lasting habits, which I'm all about. I, I think I told you on the phone when we first talked, I'm all about trying to do as much stuff as possible uh, with natural and foods. Uh, and I'm a big believer in that. I try to stay away from the drugs. That doesn't mean alcohol, by the way. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> but tell me... Tell me about the book and tell me what inspired you to write this kind of book. Well, so a little bit of background. Uh, I've been here in Flagler County for going on 20 years. I worked for Florida Hospital for many years and my three little boys were getting bigger. I was spending too much time away from home. So we ventured out to Texas and went to work for Texas Tech University. And through a roundabout situation, I wound up getting hooked up with a couple of guys that were doing bariatrics. I had never done bariatrics. Um, my view on bariatrics was very jaded. Um, I, I was brought up in the old philosophy that weight loss was simply about balancing the energy equation, which is your calories in calories out. Everybody's heard it before eat less, do more. Right. And so I viewed surgery as simply something that forced people to do something that they should be able to do on their own. And they now said, you say that's how you felt. That's how I felt. Okay, okay. Now, I, I told patients that in a very condescending way, not meaning to, but uh, it, yeah, just basically said, you're just not trying hard enough. Right. Okay. And that's, that's the attitude that most people have. And these two guys took me in. They said, listen, I, I think there may be something that you're missing. And as I started doing some research and started looking into this further, I started realizing that we had it wrong for many, many years. For literally more than 50 years, that's been the the philosophy of weight loss is eat less, do more. But we began to understand that that was a far too simplistic way of looking at weight loss. And that when you really begin to understand physiology, it's much, much more complicated than that. No surprise. As I began to understand it, I began to have a new passion because I started looking at this patient population that struggled with their weight much differently. Um, my wife has always been into the kind of healthy world and, and, uh, exercise world. And, uh, she got certified as a personal trainer and health coach and nutritionist and came on board. And together we began to build a program to help people understand how do you manage life after surgery? Well, then it became much more than that because obviously there's a whole subset of, of patients that don't want or don't need surgery. And so then it became, let's understand just some of the fundamentals. What are the foundations of our physiology that will help somebody to get control of their weight, regardless of whether or not they choose surgery? And so that was kind of the, the premise or where we started with uh, writing this book. So I, I do believe that uh, one of the misnomers or, or negatives with surgery is you know, a lot of people think, well, the doctor's just trying to make more money. And was that what your thought about the, the whole surgery thing? No, um, it, it was really more the, the physiology part. You really went towards, you're just too lazy and you're taking the easy way out. Yeah, because that's how we were taught. Right. You know, we were taught that weight loss was all about balancing the, the energy equation. Right. And what physiologists and dietitians had done for decades was basically said that our bodies are very similar to a mechanical system. 
And mechanical systems have to obey the first law of thermodynamics, which means that energy cannot be created or destroyed. So if you want to decrease the energy inside a system, either you have to give it less or you have to extract more. And they basically applied the same principles to our physiology. Well, biology is too complex. There's so many other things going on that you can't adjust for with a, with a mechanical system. And so that was far too simplistic a way of looking at it. And that's when we really began to understand the hormonal model of weight loss, which basically means that all these inputs, everything that we are exposed to every single day from our environment to the foods that we eat to the activities that we engage in, all these things evoke a hormonal response. And that's really what drives are we using or burning energy or are we storing that energy? And that's what we really focus on. So you mentioned the hormonal response, and I do know there's several advertisers out there that are pushing, you know, come by and get your your, uh, blood tested and get your hormones (laughs) tested, and we'll adjust your hormones. Is that the proper way to go? No, because the hormones that they're talking about are not really the hormones that are involved in weight loss. The hormones that are involved in weight loss is this entire array that most people had even heard of. Hormones like ghrelin and leptin and peptide YY and cholecystokinin and GLP, and there's a whole host of them. The names of the hormones aren't really that important, but what they do is more important. And the problem with these hormones is they're constantly changing. They're fluctuating throughout the entire day depending on what they're subjected to. So depending on what you're eating, depending on your activity levels, depending on your sleep habits, depending on your stress issues, all those things affect these hormonal levels. So if you were to go and get a a blood test, which these these hormones aren't even commercially available, you'd have to go to a special place to do them, and get a spot check in time – What does that mean? There's no reference for those numbers because they're constantly fluctuating. The more important thing is what are causing those hormones to change in what direction? And when you understand that, that's how you can begin to manipulate your situation, manipulate what you're eating, what you're doing, how you're responding to stress, how you're sleeping, all the things that affect these hormonal patterns. So it's not about getting a hormone level and then saying, oh, well, I need to supplement with this hormone, with that hormone to adjust it. So doctor, where did we go wrong? Because we are now the most obese society ever. If you look, you know, I love it lots of times when they, when people on Facebook uh, will post a picture of the 1960s crowd and they're nice and neat and thin and, and, and uh, versus a, po- uh, a picture of today where we're slobs and overweight and we, we are, we are having outlandish reports of obesity. I know at one time I, I used to weigh 50 pounds more than I do now. I was pretty close to being considered obese for my age and my height. Uh, where did we go wrong? That's an awesome question, and we could literally sit here for an hour and talk about that question because the history of how we got to where we are today is is very, very complex. It goes back to a couple of things. One of the things that happened was back in the 1950s, uh, a guy named Ansel Keys, um, who was a epidemiologist, began to try to ascertain why people were having cardiac issues and dying of cardiac disease more frequently than others. And he did a study that looked at seven countries. And what he derived from his information was that people that eat higher diets of saturated fat caused cardiovascular disease. The problem is that his epidemiologic studies only gave a possible causation or possible association, but it didn't give causation. And so nobody ever did any studies past that. And everybody took his data and basically said, oh, well, it makes sense. Fat makes you fat. And fat gives you cardiovascular disease. So, so we're talking baking. We're talking about, well, it gets back to understanding fats. <clears throat> fats are broken down into saturated, 
monounsaturated and polyunsaturated fats. Your polyunsaturated fatty acids are the ones that are chemically produced in a in a lab in in an industrial plant, which is very hard to get away from in this day and age. Oh yes, absolutely, very hard. And that's what happened. That was a major set that took place back in the 1950s was they believed that saturated fats were the ones that were causing cardiovascular disease. And so they necessarily started saying we needed to eat a low-fat diet. That's why you walk down the grocery store all day and you see low-fat, no-fat, everything. Right. Well, when you really begin to understand it, what it is is it's replaced by polyunsaturated fatty acids, which are the real problems. These highly processed industrialized cooking oils cause major, major problems with cellular function. And by necessity. Now, when you say cooking oils, I, now my wife and I use olive oil. We got away from vegetable oil. Is, is that the right way to go? So the easy way to think about this is it's the size of the seed. The larger seeds like uh, coconut and olive, they're actually pressed to extract the oil from them. Right. And those are all fine. Those are monounsaturated fatty acids, which are fine to cook with. It's the very small seeds, the, the soybean, the sunflower, canola, all those types of, of oils are highly processed using toxic chemicals and solvents to extract. The well, and there's another thing that, that I learned recently that a lot of the olive oil isn't really real olive oil. It's fake olive oil. <clears throat> um, so we've learned to read labels, and which is my next question. How important is it for us to, as a society to read labels? It's very important. In fact, it's one of the, the sections that we have in this book is trying to teach you at least some of the basics of understanding how to read labels and what you're looking at. It's, it's incredibly important. And you're right. The food industry is not on our side. They're, they're trying to make money. And so they're trying to do things that are going to drive. I'd like to say it's not just the food industry. Congress is the one that approves all these, uh, regulations. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and again, going back to the whole Ansel Keys thing, if you go back to um, the 1950s when that all took place and begin to read how politics got involved, it's kind of a scary story. Uh, did they try to get involved to protect us or did they try to get involved for regulation and money? I think early on it was altruistic. I think early on it was to protect society. But then obviously everybody figures out how to make money and, and it got tainted. I want to ask you about the four food groups because I remember being in elementary school and being taught the four food groups and breakfast, lunch and dinner. And now I'm reading that's that was the wrong way to go. We shouldn't focus on the four food groups. Uh, we should focus and we shouldn't focus on breakfast, lunch and dinner is a must. I mean, my wife, I love my wife to death, but she wakes up, she eats noontime. She's sick if she hadn't eaten by noon. And if she hadn't eaten by six thirty, seven 7 o'clock at night, she gets sick. And I, I think it's a mental problem. She's going to kill me for telling you this. but <laughs> I think it's a <laughs> mental problem because I can go hours without eating, especially if I'm busy. And I once had a doctor tell me. A lion only eats when he's hungry. He doesn't kill and eat just for that because it's 11 o'clock in the morning. It actually goes back to hormonal problems. It's understanding how hormones affects and drives everything that we do. Hormones drive when we're hungry, how we seek food, what foods we actually seek. But by this breakfast, lunch, and dinner thing that the government pushed years ago in elementary school days for me, did that program our hormones to be – Hungry at 7 a.m., uh, 11 a.m. noon, and then again at 6 o'clock at night? Two, two parts of that. Number one, when, when the FDA created the food, food pyramid, what did they put on the bottom, the thing that we should consume the most of? Grains. And then they said that breakfast was the most uh, important meal of the day. And what is it con consuming? It's all of our grains. It's, it's uh, pastas or, or, or pastries. It's cereals. It's um, breads. It's all those things that are very high in carbohydrates. The problem is I tell patients breakfast is the most important of the meal of the day to not screw up. 
Because the problem is when you eat a very high carbohydrate meal first thing in the morning, what that does is it causes a huge insulin spike. And insulin blocks a hormone that is supposed to be released in the morning called cortisol, called the cortisol pulse. When you release cortisol, that's one of the things that causes your body to start burning fats. But when you're releasing a whole bunch of insulin, that blocks the cortisol response. You're blocking exactly what you want it to do. So like oatmeal is a great breakfast. It's not. Oh, it's not. (laughs) That's what we've been told forever. Oatmeal is a grain. Grains are basically carbohydrates. And carbohydrates, as soon as you take them in, are immediately converted to sugars, which causes an insulin spike. And that's what you want to avoid first thing in the morning. So what's a great breakfast? A great breakfast is eggs, bacon, black coffee, or coffee with heavy cream, no added sugars. So really more towards the proteins. Proteins and fats. Okay. Yeah, the correct fats, the healthy fats. All right, we're going to take a fast commercial break with with Dr. Darren Peterson, uh, a fantastic new book that's not released yet. It will be out November 28th, uh, Life Change, Reframe Your Goals, Take Charge of Your Health, and Establish Lasting Habits. So when we come back, I've got, I want to find out what I need to eat for lunch today. We'll be right back right after this. I'm really blessed to have the opportunity to work with uh, their internship program. I wish when I was going through high school here in Flagler that I had the opportunity to be able to work for a tech company locally and be able to get that experience. You know, I'm definitely excited to be more of a part of Coastal Cloud in the community. Good morning and welcome back to The Business Report. I'm your host, Kirk Keller. My guest this morning is Dr. Darren Peterson. He just wrote a book. It's not released yet. He just told me you can pre-order it on Amazon. It's called Life Change. Reframe your goals, take charge of your health, and establish lasting habits. Uh, It will actually be available on November 28th, but you were just telling me, go to Amazon now and pre-order. Yeah, on Amazon, you'll be able to buy the ebook, the audiobook, and the uh, the paperback. Um, It's available for uh, pre-sale currently and will be shipped on the 28th. Uh, or if you want the hardback or want to get it today, you can actually go to our uh, website, which is just uh, www.floridacoastweightloss.com, and there's a link to our store, and you can buy it on our store. And, Doctor, you're a resident of Flagler County. We've been here for almost 20 years now. Moved here in 2006 and was working for Florida Hospital at the time. So you came here because of the job? I did. I trained up in Jacksonville. My wife was born and raised in Jacksonville, so uh, trained not too far and right. been down here for a long time. What made you stay after you left the hospital? We just love living near the beach, a great place to raise kids. So before we went to commercial break, you told me what I should be eating for breakfast. Coffee, egg, bacon, the proteins. So what should I have for lunch to keep my balanced diet? Or should I skip lunch? Well, so then you're starting to ask the question about compressed eating windows or um, intermittent fasting, which is another thing that people talk about all the time. And intermittent fasting basically relies on the ability of your metabolism to break down and burn fat. So what that does is if you eat all and consume all your nutrition within a shorter period of time throughout the course of the day, then that longer period of the time when you're not eating, you're stimulating your body to break and burn down fat. The problem is our bodies have to be fat adapted in order for that to occur. Most Americans are not fat adapted. Most Americans are carbohydrate dependent, which means that you take in a carbohydrate, it's immediately broken down into a sugar, and your body immediately starts to burn it and store it simultaneously. But as soon as you empty your tank of all those carbohydrates that you just ate, they're very powerful signals that are sent to your brain that says, feed me, fill this tank back up. 
That's why your wife feels the way that she does in the morning or late at night because that tank has been emptied and those very powerful neurotransmitters are being sent back to the brain that says, hey, you're empty. Does that mean she's working harder? Is she burning more calories? What causes that effect? No, it's because of the fact that that carbohydrates are the easiest source for your body to burn. But the problem is you're not just burning them, you're also storing them. And so you deplete that tank very, very quickly. But you're constantly storing it as stored energy or adipose tissue, but you're never giving your body a chance to break that down and use that stored energy. And that's why you can keep accumulating fat on top of fat on top of fat. So what should I have for lunch today? So again, what we say is, after you finish the breakfast meal, the rest of the day, it doesn't really matter how you structure. Lunch doesn't have to be lunch foods. It can be breakfast foods. It can be dinner foods. It's more about understanding the hormonal response to the foods that you eat. And so understanding the three main macronutrients of foods, which are proteins, carbohydrates, and fats. And depending on what, what phase you're in, are you in a phase where you're actively trying to lose weight? Are you just trying to maintain weight? will kind of dictate how you partition each of those. So for most people that are in the weight loss mode, we say you need to be keeping your total carbohydrates for the day somewhere in the 50 to maybe 70 kind of grams a day. And it should be primarily complex carbohydrates, not the simple carbohydrates that you get with your oatmeal or with bread or with pastas or donuts or whatever it may be. Simple sugars, especially that are in soft drinks, those kind of things. Those are the ones that are more problematic when it comes to the carbohydrates. Should we just stay away from soft drinks altogether? Absolutely. All right. (laughs) Even the sugar-free ones. I asked you earlier in the show, when did all this start? Because, you know, we compared the 1960 photo, nice, thin, healthy-looking family photos, and now we're uh, a bunch of obese people. And even though I'm not obese, still chunky, and I don't go to fast food restaurants. I swore off fast food restaurants a long time ago. Is that another point in history, in America especially, where we went backwards, we went wrong with these fast food restaurants? Absolutely. Um, you know, we talked a little bit about the fats and how the idea that saturated fat gave you cardiovascular disease drove us towards polyunsaturated fats. But Mm -hmm. at the same time, when you took away all the meats that people were eating that had lots of saturated fats, it necessarily drove people more towards carbohydrates. At that same time, another thing that was happening was in our farming industries is we began to develop highly processed pesticides and chemicals to um, make the plants resistant to um, uh, different pests. Critters, yeah. And as we begin to genetically modify our plants to be more drought resistant, these kind of things, it changed the way that, that wheat and our different plants were grown. And that change caused the change in carbohydrates. Because we were driving people more and more towards carbohydrates and we changed how our bodies responded to them, that was another thing that led to uh, the obesity problem. And then, of course, when you look at fast food restaurants, they're trying to turn a profit. So they're trying to buy the cheapest foods they can possibly find. And and by law, they're allowed to use filler. I don't know if you know that. Absolutely. Taco Bell got busted a few years ago. Uh, They're allowed to use uh, up to 33% filler. And Taco Bell got busted for using more than that 33%. And filler can – one of the fillers I – found out about can be sawdust so when you're when you're ordering that all beef taco it's not all beef it's some beef and some sawdust or it could be beans or it could be whatever but they can legally use filler to help cost cut cost yeah most of the time it's a carbohydrate and or a polyunsaturated fat Mm -hmm. had a had another uh, doctor on the show not too long ago and we were doing a show on mental health how does any of this relate from what your research has found to mental health in today's society 
Well, again, because it all comes back to hormones. Right. It's coming back to the hormones that are released and how that affects our brain. Our brain is, is stimulated to function through neurotransmitters. There is lots of different chemical signals that are being sent to the brain. And when those chemical signals are interrupted or when they're not, they're not being released in a, a, a normal pattern, that can cause lots of problems with, um, with thought processes, with depression and anxiety and all these other factors that, that people struggle with. And that is, a, I think, the big problem. You know, I, I did ask her if there was any foods that, that are, are connected to mental health. And I was totally shocked by what she said. Her answer was Doritos. Uh, it's nothing but chemicals. I mean, the actual tortilla chip might be uh, real, but everything, all the flavors on there is nothing but chemically enhanced chemicals. When we spoke the other day, I, I told you about a book that was written that was really interesting called The Dorito Effect. Yes. And he basically went through and gave the history of how the Dorito was invented in the first place and why it is made in the way that it is because of what it does to drive people to eat more. Um, and because it's just simply a, a, a simple carbohydrate um, that causes that problem uh, that we talked about before with driving people to eat more of it. Um, so, yeah, it's – I haven't read the book yet. You did tell me about it, but I haven't had a chance to read it yet. So I'm just going to guess that the chemicals they put on a lot of our foods these days are programmed to make you want more and more and more so you'll buy, buy, buy. It's all about your money. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Food so, industry is is not stupid. They've done all this research for many, many years, and it's designed to sell product. So does your book uh, illustrate or, or outline an actual diet, or is it just a, a, a book to help you change your mind about what to do? We have some uh, some recipes in the back that gives you some ideas, um, but I don't believe in doing diet plans and meal plans because what is going to work for one person is not going to work for another person. And the reality is we're trying to help you understand how to change your life. Hence the name of the title. And if we give you a diet plan or meal plan that works for this week and works for next week, it's not going to work for five years from now or 10 years from now. And so we're trying to help you understand what are the, the basics that you need to, to learn and incorporate into your daily routines that will carry you on through the rest of your life. And so we teach more of a foundational, fundamental, nutritional approach rather than a specific diet. Just recently had a new granddaughter. She's four months old as of this week. Um, what should we be teaching her as she's growing up uh, about eating and nutrition and exercise? Because you haven't mentioned exercise at all. Yeah. All which the things is a negative word for me. <laughs> <laughs> all the things that we're talking about, it, it's just, it's understanding the components of healthy living. And the earlier that we teach these kids, especially when you start looking at obesity rates in adolescence, the earlier that they start to understand this, uh, the better off that they'll be. Um, we've thought again that the problem with obesity in adolescence is just that these kids don't get off the couch and they play video games all day. Well, that's part of it. More of it has to do with nutrition and understanding what they're eating. Activity is very important. Don't get me wrong. But we've had the idea that the importance of exercise is really the calories out component of it. And because of that, people hate it. The popularity of the watches, the smart watches that people use today to count calories and steps and so on. They're good at least to help you understand that you're doing something, but I think it gets people focused in the wrong direction because it's not simply about burning calories. You're still doing the same bad intake. If you, you can't outwork a bad diet. Right. So absolutely. Exercise is certainly important in helping you to maintain the weight loss that you've had and support that because exercise induces the release of hormones. It all comes back to hormones. Right. I give people the example all the time. If you go and walk up a couple flights of stairs, what happens to your heart rate? goes up. Did you have to think about that? 
No, you didn't have to think about that. There were hormones that were released and some other complex things that occur that forces your heart rate to go up. Well, there's lots of different hormones that are released in the course of activity. And it doesn't have to be getting on a treadmill for three hours. This can be all kinds of activity, riding a bike, going and playing golf, going on hiking, going on a walk, doing some strength training. All those things can cause the release of hormones that stimulates organ system function that will help us to support that weight loss. I have to ask about wine or booze, alcohol. Good, bad, should I drop it out of my life? or Because I do like a good, good couple of glasses of wine at night. So another very controversial topic, and it depends on what you read. The thing that I will say is you have to understand that alcohol is, one, is converted into a carbohydrate and it's broken down into a sugar and it's burned first. So the things that you consume after that are usually, one, uh, are usually stored. Um, and so if you're trying to lose weight, alcohol is usually working against you. Okay. Uh, just got a few minutes left in the show. So let's go over the book one more time. Give us a quick summary. And I, I, w- I do want you to tell your story of why you wrote the book again. Absolutely. So as I said, uh, my wife and I got in, involved in this as we began to develop a passion. We wrote a, a curriculum for our post-operative patients, and it sort of morphed into something that we said, you know, there's a lot of patients that don't want or don't need surgery that can also benefit from understanding the basic uh, philosophy of this hormonal model of weight loss. And so over the course of about four years, we began to write this curriculum, and it morphed into this book. Um, I think COVID played a, a big role in this because I was so frustrated at the, uh, the response of our healthcare leaders in terms of how we handled COVID that it sort of prompted us to continue to write this book. So it's been a long, long process. Uh, the book does talk about surgery and does give a little bit of that, but it's really only two chapters of the entire book. The rest of the book is understanding all the different things that are involved in controlling our hormones, lots of nutrition, understanding activity and exercise, understanding managing your stress, managing your sleep, and all the various aspects of it. So if you had a 300-pound person walk in today and say, I want to get the surgery as a kickstart to my weight loss, what would you say? Um, I always sit down with every single one of them and understand their specific situation. Uh, a lot of times somebody that needs to lose 150 pounds, they're not going to be able to do that through simply a nutritional program or a medicine like the new semiglutide or ozempic craze that's out there. Those things can be a good jump start to help somebody, uh, but they're not a good long-term strategy, and they're certainly not going to help somebody that needs to lose 100 or 150 pounds. Oftentimes, weight loss surgery, which has a dramatic hormonal effect and can change a lot of these hormones, found to be one of the most durable ways of doing that, is one of the major tools in their toolbox that they need. Fantastic. Again, tell us how we get your book. So two different ways. You can go to our website, which is www.floridacoastweightloss.com. There's a little tab to our our store, and you can go shop there, and we've got the book available there, uh, and that's available to ship now. Or you can go to Amazon, search Life Change Peterson, and you'll find the book there, and you can pre-order it today. All right, fantastic. Dr. Peterson, thank you very much for being on the show today. Thank you, sir. That's Business Report for this week. We'll talk to you next Saturday. 